0: being reminded of how many great conversations we had and how thankful I am to our guests for coming on. I mean, this is our tiny little podcast that we just launched. And, you know, these big time people that have very busy schedules who are very committed to the cause um, are willing to take time out of their day to to join us was just really um, such an honor. So we're thankful to all of them for
1: joining us. Welcome to What's Next, your next favorite political podcast, where your hosts Emily Matthews and Daniel Hare Bring you great guests each week to have conversations about how to restore the conservative movement. And now, in the words of President Bartlett, what's next? All right. Welcome everybody to our season finale wrap-up show of what's next. Emily, how you feeling?
0: Doing great. How are you?
1: (laughs) I'm good. I'm ready to dive into all that we learned over the past couple of months. It's been exciting.
0: Yeah, we're basically experts in this corner now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, this very tiny, 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 small <laughs> niche little area of which we've learned more about. Yeah, now um,
0: we know all five people in the movement.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Exactly. So, well, I think it'll be fun to go through and talk about, you know, we had 10 episodes. That was the plan was to for this season one to have. Uh, ten separate episodes trying to hit at different angles, different types of guests uh all uh with a common theme, of course, but um uh, uh, trying to get some different perspectives and then um you know uh, and to take today then to kind of wrap that up and and see kind of yeah what were some of those common themes that that came through as we talked with uh those guests, so I'm excited to do that, and then we've got some bigger picture questions to address, so this will be fun,
0: yeah, let's get started
1: awesome, all right, well, so. Right out of the gate, uh, Bill Crystal, uh, yeah. we, 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 we
0: started we, we bit. Fired hot right out
1: of the gate. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, what, w- what, were some of your thoughts about that episode?
0: Yeah. Um, well, you know, I was, I was making notes for each episode and I, it's funny, I kept getting stumped on Bill Crystal's episode of what my biggest takeaway was. Um, because obviously as Tim Miller has said, um, Bill's a mensch and he just covers everything. I mean, he's very much kind of the godfather of this movement, um, you don't know the Never Trump or you know uh, new conservative movement without knowing who Bill Kristol is. Um, he's done so many different things, given a lot of um, action items. I think we had talked about that before. A lot of people, some yeah. people are doing the journalism, you know, that coming at it from a journalistic approach, and some are more doing, um, you know, pack work and, and ads. And Bill Kristol's involved in all of that. Um, you know, he's through his organizations, he's funded so many things and given people actual ways that they can really jump in and help. So um, again, it's hard. It's hard to pick one thing um, from that conversation that really stuck out to me because he just um, has a lot of wisdom to offer in this corner.
1: Yeah, I I think you you were mentioning it there in terms of the different types of perspectives and, and the ways in which people uh, are approaching this. And, and I think a, a good comparison to that is what we, and we'll talk about it more when we get to his episode, but what, what Matt Lewis was sharing about uh, you know, his role in this as he sees it is, is he's much more of a journalist and a uh, you know, he's, he's documenting these things that he sees as they're happening um, and trying to do it in a very straightforward way. Um, and, uh, and tell the you truth. Know, that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not and be not tribal, be,
0: yeah.
1: Not be tribal, not fall into the, you know, kind of far right type stuff. And and obviously, but he, I mean, he's a conservative. I don't think he makes, he doesn't try to pretend he's not. Right. But- um, but he's, you know, he's, he, so he has that, um, flavor in his writing and in his podcasting, but, but he's also not a, he's not trying to build a movement or, or create structures and infrastructure for elections the way someone like Bill Crystal is. And so I think there are right. differences in the way, uh, different people are going to plug in, um, which I think is a good lesson for everyone at home who's listening and is trying to figure out, you know, a way to get involved because you, you know, you don't have to build a whole apparatus like a bill crystal is going to, or some of the other guests that we're going to mention here in a little bit that are building organizations around this, mm-hmm. um, there are going to be needs uh, across the gamut of different ways to get involved. And so I think bill crystal is a good example of kind of the builder and the, you know, the foundation layer for so many things. Um, the other piece that I thought was interesting for him was um, practically looking ahead at 2022 and what his goals are through the Republican accountability project and, and also trying to really, protect those Republicans in Congress who have pushed back, uh, against, uh, either January 6th stuff or, uh, you know, election stealing stuff or, you know, uh, those that even voted for, to impeach, uh, president Trump and different things like that, that are going to get primaried by Trump, uh, type candidates in 22, like really trying to protect them. Um, uh, and, uh, also, uh, protect, uh, conservative Democrats as well in, areas where they could get uh, primaried by far left type candidates. I think Mm -hmm. that was another part that he mentioned. So I think that's that was interesting. And it'll be, you know, as we get closer to that cycle and see who the candidates are that turn out to run in these different elections, that'll be interesting to watch.
0: For sure. For sure. Yeah, I think describing him the way you did as the architect or an architect of this movement is really key.
1: Yeah. What do you think about uh, Michael Wood? That was episode two, which is a uh, a pretty unique episode from the standpoint of even though I've just said we're all going to have our different roles, uh, I suppose uh, one role is as candidate, and yeah. so that was that was that's not going to be most people's role. That was Michael Wood's role, at least for this uh, you know uh, 2021 special election in Texas that he ran in uh, in May and and did not make it to the runoff, which is still to come in July. Uh, but uh, what were your thoughts about that one?
0: Yeah. Um, well, again, you know, that is certainly one of, well, I don't want to say the most important. It's just one incredibly important strategy in winning back a healthy um, conservative movement is getting people to run. Um, even if they know it's not going to be a winning election, but just to start paving the way to start creating a grassroots movement that gets people energized, that there still are um, – worthy representatives of the conservative cause. Um, you know, I think it's going to take noble leaders who are willing to lose initially in these kinds of battles in order to win the greater war. Um, and so it's going to take people like Michael Wood stepping up. And, um, you know, I think he was well aware that this was um, more symbolic than it was uh, electorally possible, uh, yeah. but it's going to take that kind of courage um, from people like him.
1: Absolutely. I, I, I was encouraged to hear, and, you know, I, I know he was in the middle of the campaign and he wants to, at the time, you know, paint as optimistic a picture of his chances and, and of like what the campaign was like, you know, and, and so I, I get that and, and, and maybe filter a little bit of this through it. But, um, but, but I was encouraged to hear that, you know, him talk about when he goes to Republican events and talks to groups uh, that, um, that he would have, you know, a decent number of people, a decent percentage of the, of the audience who would come up to him afterwards and say things like, you know, uh, I appreciate what you're saying about, you know, whether it was January 6th or something like that, you know, like I'm a Republican, I'm a conservative, mm-hmm. that was a step too far. And, and, uh, we need someone saying that. Um, and so, you know, because I, I, you know, it's hard to, when you think about the Republican primary electorate, at this point, you do think that most of that activated group is, is kind of in the all in um, Trump world, or or at least all in anti left world and Uh and find someone that's going to fight on that behalf. So that, that there were people in there, you know, not just throwing tomatoes at him <laughs> for right. not being all in, right. um, you know, I think was encouraging um, and hopefully we'll give other candidates, you know, so, some hope <laughs> to run on.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, it'll be interesting to see like if we're going to be seeing him again in the future and kind of what his ambitions are. I'm, I'm curious to watch that. Yeah. So then going into our third episode with um, Sarah Rumpf and, and Rachel Larimore, um, I just really specifically, Really enjoyed this episode, um, because as a woman in politics, sometimes it is hard to feel like there aren't, uh, well, there just aren't a lot of us. <laughs> um, yeah. you know, and, and I think just finding women, um, like Sarah and Rachel that are strong, smart, conservative women that aren't, um, Marjorie Taylor Greens, <laughs> um, is very refreshing. Uh, so that was, that was definitely a, a fun episode for me. Um, just again, because it's finding that community of women that, um, have just such great insights to offer. Were there any big takeaways for you, um, that you pulled from that?
1: Uh, you know, one of the things that, uh, Rachel Larimore specifically mentioned was, um, the issue. And and I thought I'd like to maybe dive into this more as we go, you know, in seasons two, three, whatever, or other, uh, formats but like the she was talking a lot about the decline of local news right um and and its importance and its influence in kind of our daily lives as compared to maybe 20 or 30 years ago um and and i i do think that that's an issue i mean in this media i mean a lot of what we talked about with the two of them was kind of the media climate um and so i i think you know there's a a lot of people talk about the rise of 24-7 cable news, and, and and that certainly has played a large role in kind of where we are, I think, in how we talk to one another and think about things. Uh, but the decline of local news uh, is, I think, and, and they're related, of course. But I mean, I think that's really important because, you know, I think her specific example is like, you know, people aren't paying attention to city council meetings and school board meetings and things that are that you maybe used to be covered on like the six o'clock or whatever time zone. you're in nightly news, yeah. uh, local news, uh, or in your local paper, because the local paper is now down to uh, almost nothing, or it's gone completely. And no one really watches the local TV news anymore. And so therefore, everything that is news uh, in terms of what people are listening to is national. It's national. It's political. It's from Washington. And so you're just not getting kind of that what's going on in my neighborhood, what's going on in my city uh, type of news where there's a lot more uh, across party, across ideological perspective issues that come up uh, where and more opportunities to work together and things like that. It's just, it, you know, th- that those outlets are now gone and it's all become hyper-partisan and hyper-national and everything is about national. Uh, and so I, I, th- I think that was something that's really important. And, and, and so I, I don't not know what we do about that. I don't know that there is anything we can do about that. It's just something to keep in mind uh, for people as they're, we'll talk with, about Matt Lewis again, mention him again, but like about the media diet and how to kind of do that. Yeah. But, um, but that was something that stuck out to me.
0: Yeah, I was actually, uh, I mean, and again, that's a very federalist conservative perspective, too, that, you know, you want yeah. power to be more decentralized. And and again, when when you've got all these, like three major news companies covering everything, they don't understand the local issues and the unique communities and the comu- unique issues that each community faces. Um, and, you know, Rachel did talk about the local politics or local journalism. And then Sarah really added to that, I took a note of that as well, that, um, you know, the people that are actually just genuinely affecting your life are the local politicians. Um, yeah, you know, the right. people that are doing politics on a local level, because, you know, if the road has an issue, if there's, you know, those are the people that you go to that directly affect your life. Um, yeah. so just how important those positions are. And then when, you know, you're getting people in to start in those jobs, then you're preparing them to then move up to, you know, Congress and, and be more on that national stage as well. Um, so, local leadership and local politics really matters because it's setting um, it's setting things up kind of for the next, you know, um, generation, which I think is really important.
1: Absolutely. I agree. All right. So then we talked with Elizabeth Newman. Uh, yes. What, uh, what, what are your thoughts there?
0: I mean, she's so great. I, I think for you and I, we're also fellow Christians, and so we were able to dive into the faith element of politics a little bit more. Um, you know, I just really appreciated, appreciated her, of course, last year when she stepped out, um, and said, you know, I worked in the Trump administration and I am, you know, speaking out on the things that I saw that were really dangerous and how much courage that took, like truly, (laughs) um, you know, I mean, I think just even thinking about your security and your family and, um, there's a lot of crazy people out there. So I think that just took such, such, um, courage and I just specifically admire people like her because they didn't then jump on the, you know, resistance train, you know, they didn't say, okay, now I'm going to become a Democrat. And, you know, she actually, she kept her principles and she really touched on the being politically homeless, but also focusing her sights on the eternal and, you know, and that ties into Christianity. Um, But just figuring out, like she said, that she's on this new journey and she's, processing things and thinking critically about things that she'd never thought about before, um, as to the extent that she's, she's working through them now. So that was just a really, um, good conversation. Another strong, uh, conservative woman in politics, which, you know, again, great to see that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I think the two things from that conversation and, and, and for me, it was probably the one that I I hate to pick one out of 10, but if I was like, you know, if I was going to, and especially for the faith element, especially for people in my orbit that are, are Christian and trying to, you know, figure out all that's going on in the world and culture and politics with their faith intact. And as as their guiding principle, like that would certainly be the episode I would point them to if they're going to just listen to one of those 10 episodes. But so, and I'll get to the faith part in a second. The other part though, uh, also that I, Wanted to mention is, and I just I admire her talking about the struggle and wrestling with this about you know what's better, right? I mean, to for people like her to work in an administration that is for her like you know so much full of things that she doesn't believe in. Um, I mean, plenty of conservative things she does believe in, but in the way that it's being run and operated, and so many of the extreme things she doesn't believe in. You know, uh, I know a lot of people like her wrestled with whether to join it at all, and then at what point they had to kind of say no more and get out. But if nobody of her type is in the administration, and it's just all people that are in line with you know where the administration is going, then is that worse for the country? And so uh, that... Because it it got
0: worse as time went on, you know, when the adults started to leave the room. (laughs) I mean, not that there were that many adults in there, but there were more career, you know, um, but there were...
1: Bureaucrats. There there were more, yes,
0: there were more government bureaucrats, which, you know, I gets, it gets a lot of flack, but I actually, you know, I want there to be, <laughs> I want that to right. be there. And I want there to be experienced people in the government. Um, you need to understand the way things work. And, um, you know, anyways, that's, that's, a, that's for another day. But
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, so I, I can only imagine, you know, being in those rooms and in those meetings and and then, like being given orders that you feel like are contrary to your, you know, moral uh, beliefs, religious beliefs, those types of things, and just how you try to navigate that. And so, I think um,
0: it's a heavy weight.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah. and then people, you know, I'm sure plenty of people probably on kind of the anti-never Trump side criticizing anyone that would work in the administration at all, yeah, including right? her and so others. She's right. Like I mean, truly like she's
0: homeless. Getting yeah. it
1: from both sides. Yeah, yeah. and I think. It's, and it's got to obviously be a pretty individual decision because you don't want to enable, uh, you know, things that are flat out wrong in your view. And then at the same time, we need people there <laughs> to kind of keep things in order. Yeah. So I, I, it's hard. I but remember that was a.
0: Yeah, that was, yeah, for sure. I remember early on um, when I uh, was in D.C., it was in the first year of the Trump presidency. And I, I went to an event where H.R. McMaster was speaking and it was still when he was national security advisor, right? Wasn't that, that was his role. Um, Mm -hmm. and I just remember thinking, thank God he's in there. Of course, you know, that ended, (laughs) but at least for (laughs) that, I mean, I was so thankful for him and for people like James Mattis, um, who truly were protecting our country. Um, you know, say what you want about, there were other people that were more political appointees that you can argue with that a little bit more, but for the people that were there advising on national security issues, um, I just, I'm so grateful for that. I mean, things could have been so much worse had they not been there. Um, so, yeah. th- it was a tough position for those people to step into, but it really was um, a service to the country.
1: Yeah, no, definitely. And oh, and, and then I'll mention just briefly on the the faith piece uh, for me. I, I, yeah. I do think listening to her kind of wrestle through that and talk about you know um, what she's seen in the churches that she's been a part of um, you know, and and the Christians around her uh, you know, that's something that has been an ongoing struggle for me in the last 12 months or so as well. And, uh, and she used the word grief to describe it. Mm -hmm. um, And just what's going on in the big C church as it relates to this and also within the local churches that she was a part of. And um, you know, I, I, I mean that's the that's exactly how I've described it to people around me, and uh, in, in watching that, and then just also feeling like continuing to come back to, am I the one that's off here? Am I the one that's seeing this wrong? You know, should I be, you <laughs> yeah. know, just right in the middle of that? Feeling um, gaslit. Yeah. So that's been tough. And, um, you know, her talking through like, you know, pastors that she used to look up to and and really either read or follow or or whatever that kind of went all in on just embracing everything about Trump and Trumpism. You know, there were certainly uh, national profile pastors that did that. Others that sort of were, you know, the I'll uh, uh, be okay with the policies that I agree with, but then sp- speak out when I disagree. Types and those were fewer and farther between, um, and and then just kind of watching this, uh, and I'll just continue to say it. And I'm because I'm continuing to try to figure it out myself because I think it's still such a new concept for me. Is just kind of this blending of Christianity and nationalism, um, and. You know what's the proper role and what's subservient to what? Because I do think that in some cases, people are putting their faith in their country on equal footing, and as Christians, at least my interpretation—I'm speaking for myself now—I don't want to ever speak. <laughs> but is you know that you're wherever you happen to live, whatever country—that's all you know submitted and underneath the authority and kingdom and reign of, of Jesus and and your Christian faith. So, um, you know, to the extent that they're on equal footing or that now the country is, uh, is number one in someone's heart or life, I think is a, is a problem. And, and I, and she used the word subtle to talk about the different ways in which that can happen. And I think that's true. I think that's why it has sort of taken a while to even kind of catch on to it. But now that I've kind of started to pay attention more, I mean, I, definitely notice more things that where I see more blending taking place than probably I, I wouldn't have thought anything about two years ago. And now I'm like, ooh, that seems uncomfortable. Like, you, yeah. you know? yeah. um, and so I don't know, it, it's still early in this for me anyway, trying to kind of dissect it on and figure out exactly how I think and feel about it. And, you know, I don't know, but yeah, no, absolutely. she brought that up and brought it to light. So I was happy that for that.
0: Absolutely. And I, I really, this, this happened when we were off the recording, but um, she, of course, you know, she made me laugh when she said when I got out, I was like, I had to, I felt like I had to enter a decompression tank. And I had always, we laughed about that because I had told friends as soon as I got back from DC, I was like, I feel like I need to go through a decompression tank for, for how, you know, for how chaotic the last two years were in, in that kind of DC environment under the, the Trump years. So um, <laughs> definitely good to, to commiserate with her on that. Not that what I was doing was anything like what <laughs> where she was, but still, I can't imagine to the even then you know times a million what she was going through. So um, anyway.
1: yeah, definitely. Okay, so Matt Lewis was episode five. Yes. So I already kind of mentioned about you know him talking through what role people have in this, and so I I, I just want to you know underline that one more time, especially for people maybe figuring out or trying to th- start to think through how they might plug in and get involved in whatever way that there's spaces for people in, in so many ways. And, you know, it might be from a, like a writing and journalistic and podcasting role. It might be running as a candidate. It might be building infrastructure. It might be just fundraising and door knocking. And yeah. it, it, there's a million things, um, and ways that people can get involved. And so I thought it was great that, that Matt kind of, um, you know, underscored that a little bit. Um, and then I thought his, uh, source, sort of in some ways, uh, building upon what, uh, Rachel and Sarah talked about you know, in terms of the media climate. Um, I, I thought his analysis of kind of where we are media wise was really strong and, and worth repeating. I mean, talking about how, first of all, mainstream media being clearly with a, uh, a liberal bias, um, but in not the same ways, I think a lot of the right wing media would say, <laughs> right. so like, you know, like, um, a liberal bias, meaning like they are selecting stories that are more f- fulfilling of their narrative, Um, It doesn't mean they're lying, but it just in selecting stories, they're doing that Um, as well as um, holding themselves out as the arbiters of truth uh, based off of a history of journalistic ethics that some are still practicing and others maybe not so much. That's right. Um, And so we do still hold uh, you know, those institutions, those media institutions to a different standard, they claim to hold themselves to a different standard. And I'm sure there are individuals within those organizations that do hold themselves to those standards. Um, but those that don't, or those that allow the others within those institutions to kind of skate by with uh, a little bit (laughs) lower standards, I think it's what generates some of the skepticism from the right, um, Mm -hmm. and need for other sources. On the other hand, he talked about how right wing uh, and, you know, conservative media uh, has basically turned into it's not the it's not the right version of mainstream media. It's it, it's not that it's different. It's more propaganda. It's more, um, you know, what he said. I think the, the Republican National Committee used to do is now being done by. The popular right-wing yes. sites and pundits and so forth, yes. and so um, it's creating, a, you know, an alternate reality that's, you know, based not on fact and being, you know, and it's dangerous and mm-hmm. it's riling people up, stoking their fears, uh, and, and all of that. Um, and so, you know, trying to find the few pieces of conservative journalism that's not in that light. We've talked before, of course, about the dispatch and what they're doing. Um, Sarah, I think, mentioned Reason, which I'm not as familiar with. So mm-hmm. that, I'm glad she mentioned it. Mm-hmm. Reason um, is more libertarian then,
0: course, leaning, but they have a lot of really good stuff, too.
1: Yeah. And I think that's the thing for me was I was recognizing that um, Fox News and certainly not OAN and Newsmax and the talk show, the radio stuff, and then the web stuff is not just a mirrored image on the right of mainstream media on the left. Like those are not the equivalents. Um, right. right? Like, um, and and so like, like, I would say more like the dispatch is the rights equivalent to the mainstream media. I mean, in some ways, like it's, it's got journalistic ethics. It's they're trying to do real journalism. They're picking stuff and having, uh, ideas that are more conservative leaning certainly. Um, but, it's almost more of that than what the far right type of media is. I don't know. You're looking at me as if you disagree. So I want to <laughs> pull that out of you because I want to if well, there's a place. That I
0: want to make sure I understood that you were saying dispatch is more similar to mainstream media like CNN kind of a thing, like the balance there, because I that so, I would definitely disagree with. And I No, 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 I, no, no, no. Oh, OK. Sorry. OK. So
1: so that no. So no. Good to clarify. So <laughs> whereas I, I feel like from those that consume conservative media, they see it as um, a counterweight counterpoint to mainstream media, like mainstream media is left. And so here's my conservative media, meaning like,
0: right. Yeah. That's
1: right. Yeah. Um, and so I think what Matt was saying, and I think I agree with this, what I'm saying is that they are not kind of the counterweights to each other that, um, I would say the dispatch is more the counterweight to NBC News or to CBS News more or to so. the Washington yes. Post yes. or to yes, yes, yes. uh, New not York the op-ed
0: sections, but yes, correct.
1: <laughs> yes, yeah, 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 the reporting right. side of it, it's like yes. th- that they that they are holding to more journalistic ethic, more you know deep dive journalism, of course, and yeah. uh, and all of that, um, and that what's happening on the far right in media is much more uh, of a of a kind of a propaganda and more of a um
0: which you know C- yeah cnn and msnbc are that for the left like i know people don't like to say that um and they're less like they're less goony about it you know what i mean like fox just embraces the crazy um cnn hides right. it a little bit better but i didn't i wasn't someone in this camp to, to slam cnn that much until my job was to listen to it literally all day, every day, and I just really, really opened my eyes to, like, how um, similar the the model is of, you know, creating a lot of fear, creating a lot of narrative to keep people interested, whatever is the most sensational, just like Fox, because it's a profit motive. It, it's not – you know um, right. yeah. you know what I mean and, and we kind of touched sure. on that money is the root of all evil like if people are willing to excuse like um, the damage that they're causing if it if it brings in dollars for the company and and all of that. Um, so, but yeah, no, it, I, I definitely thank you for clarifying. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, and to your point, like when you're talking about something like MSNBC, which I definitely think is a response and counterweight to Fox absolutely. News. Absolutely. And CNN has drifted more in it's that direction, maybe so where it than started MSN... in kind of the center. Yeah, yeah, right. I totally agree with that. Yeah. Um, and I, I think it, in general, it, um, there's two things going on there. One, I think they're just not as good at it. <laughs> as what uh, Fox and the conservative side is, uh, there's there's not as good at it. And then also, um, I think a lot of people that are left of center have never felt the need to go to kind of a secondary type of media like MSNBC because th- really all the mainstream media was sort of doing enough yes. <laughs> to court them. Like, you know, they just didn't, like, whereas the people on the right felt like that mainstream was not for them at all. They had to go find something else. So they all went to these other things. Um, but like you're kind of, I think typical liberal type person is fine with the Washington post and NBC news and doesn't need like, you know, whatever mother Jones or something like that (laughs) or something on the far left or, you know, or, or slate like, uh, and and I'll read stuff from, from those just to kind of hear what they're saying and going on. But like, but I think the normal person's not like, Consuming all that, I mean, they just, they can get it from their mainstream sources because those are going to be kind of center left, generally speaking.
0: Yeah. No, absolutely. And that's where Matt comes in. (laughs) He just, (laughs) he's such a unique, um, person in, in this corner. And that's why I was so, I'm so thankful to get to work with him a little bit this last year with this podcast. Um, but you know, that he's being this voice of, I mean, he just, he's so consistent, you know, he's so consistent at, um, being like, I'm a conservative. I'm, I'm not hiding it. Um, this is bad when Trump does this. It's also not conservative. And here's why. Um, yeah. you know, it's intellectual. It's kind. You know, he's mad as like such a like humble human being. Um, so he's a good messenger. He's not inflammatory. And then now, you know, with Biden, he'll say like, Oh, this was a good thing that Biden did this was a bad thing and this is why he's going to, you know, he's alienating Mm -hmm. part of the country. Like he is so consistent to his principles and, and, um, breaking things down. So I just, that's why we wanted to have him on because he's such a consistent, honest measured voice, um, in this movement and telling the truth is a huge strategy And, and, and having a good messenger like Matt to tell the truth, I think is, is so key because there is so much noise in journalism and, and, or, Maybe not so much jur- actual journalism, but in the news that you need people like him, um, who are taking in all the information and then can spit it out in a very reasonable way, making yeah. it palatable.
1: And I also appreciated him saying, you know, and you know, not to get your news from the TV. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, yeah. read and listen to podcasts and deep, longer form stuff uh because you know yeah it, 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 not to get your news from social media from uh the the t- television but to you know intentionally curate uh your yeah. media diet uh around uh, some you know pieces that you can trust uh or at least balance out you know um over over time so i think that was helpful too
0: totally all right tim miller <laughs>
1: yeah this was one
0: of my favorite episodes maybe because i was at the beach that week and it was just i was in a good mood anyways but <laughs> tim is so right. much fun i mean tim is just um he has been such a fighter in this cause too similarly you know to to bill crystal and um i don't know how he does it all like i feel like tim has endless energy he's just everywhere um i don't know how he has time to tweet as much as he does when he's on like you know, I'm like, you're on MSNBC now. How are you still tweeting? <laughs> you <know? laughs> He's just constantly going. Um, but he uh, yeah, I just I had a lot of fun talking to him. I, I loved that right off the um, the bat, he, you know, nailed us on the, the fact that he was right about conservatives not changing <laughs> post election. And, you know, um, right. uh, he also said he'd be the most cynical person on this podcast because he doesn't see a lot of hope for the GOP. Um, yeah. For a very long time. And
1: I think Joe Walsh gave him a run for his money. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, and you know, I was like, maybe I'm dealing with a denial stage of grief that I just will not accept that, um, you know, I'm bad with breakups. I'll fight and make, try do everything I can do to make it work. Mm. And it's the exact same thing with, um, politics, you know, I'm like, I won't give up on this party, but you know, at, at some point, when do you just yeah. become a red dog Democrat?
1: Yeah. Or, or yeah, even just an independent. Cause I do think, yeah, yeah. that's, uh, like Tim talking through those, those, uh, kind of options and where people can go right now, I, I think was something I, I was excited to talk with him about since he'd kind of written that piece about the, the Red Dog Democrats and and independents and things like that. And so uh, that was good to highlight. And then, you know, I think, and speaking of Joe Walsh, I think there's some uh, other commonality between the two of them in the sense of really talking about the fact that, um, you know, this has been a a ground up uh, movement in terms of where the GOP has gone that it it, it was in it, from Joe Walsh. We'll get to him, but talking yeah. about you know, it was a failure of the elites and the establishment yes. to listen um, to their base in the you know 90s, oh 2000s and 2010s that led to the Tea Party and then ultimately to Trump. But um, but I mean I think Tim Miller, his framing of things was something similar, talking about how that you know and maybe more just kind of the the end game, which was the the base taking over the party from the elites, um, and in in the way of Trump, but, but really coming from the, the grassroots and from the, from the ground. And so we'll talk about that in our questions later, kind of what's going to be the path forward, top down, bottom up, or in between or something like that. So I'll save that. But, but I think that'll be helpful to kind of talk through it. And then also, and I think for a lot of people, I think this is a key question for a lot of people. And there's, I think a lot of room for people to disagree about this or, come to different conclusions, but, um, and Bill Crystal talked about this, Tim Miller talked about it is, you know, it comes down to what level of threat that you feel like Trump slash Trumpism is to the country Yeah. as to how you respond to it, you know, so for people and it's relative and it's because it's also compared to what's going on in the democratic party and on the left. And so, you know, for Tim, you know, he was very clear and upfront that he feels like the, the, danger of Trump and Trumpism is existential to the country and that what's happening on the left, at least in terms of what's governing from the left is maybe a more uh, European economic uh, uh, model is just not the same thing as to what is happening on the right. So therefore, it's worth everything, uh, including becoming a Democrat, uh, or red dog Democrat, if need be to take it down. Um, Not everybody, even people that didn't vote for Trump in 16 and or 20 are going to feel that same way. Um, They're definitely going to feel more in the camp of yeah, it's bad, but, but it can be fixed and it can be salvaged and we need to do some things, but not as many things maybe as Tim would suggest. Um, and so I, I but I think it's helpful to kind of have that, that continuum and that spectrum of, of kind of where people fall. Cause I'm sure people listening to this are going to fall in all corners of that, of or all corners, all points along that, that, that line of kind of how big a threat is it? Um, and therefore also kind of what then is the response, um, because I mean the people that stormed the Capitol on January 6th, I think mostly did so because they felt like the threat to them and to the country by what they believed to falsely to be a fraudulent election was greater than anything else. And so it was actually a fair, I think, uh, uh, Charlie Sykes says this all the time and I think it's right. Like it was a very natural outgrowth of that belief. Like if you believe that the election was stolen, that there's an illegitimate president, then it makes sense that at least a few people would, you know, go to the Capitol and and try to do something about it. I I mean, that makes sense. Yeah. So like it, it, and so it works both ways and and kind of the type of threat that you feel like there is, is really what drives a lot of the, the activity and the urgency it seems. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, lies are powerful and, and fear is so powerful Um, Right. In politics. And, you know, I mean, it. it, yeah, it's you don't want leaders that will harness that in order to um, gain power. But unfortunately, that's that's what we've been dealing with. Um, But yeah, Yeah. people are definitely more motivated by fear than goodwill (laughs) when it comes to this stuff. So um, absolutely. Like um, that certainly weighs into how they process these kinds of issues and what the response should be just to sum up. You know, essentially what you were saying. Yeah. Yeah.
1: All right, Reed Howard.
0: Ugh, my bestie. Your bestie. (laughs) Reed (laughs) is the one that connected us to do this podcast because Reed, I was really credit to Reed Howard. Um, Follow him on Twitter (laughs) at Reed Howard (laughs) VA. I think. Um, Yeah, Reed is just a dear friend, and it was so fun having him on. He was, he's so impressive. I mean, he's in his twenties, and he's already comms director for uh, the Georgetown Institute of Politics and Public Policy. Um, He was the youngest uh, signatory on the call for renewal. Um, He's just worked a lot in this uh, – co-founding Biden Republicans in this corner um, and has so many great insights to offer and um, really has, honestly, his finger on the pulse of every organization in this uh, this corner. So – Loved hearing from him, and it was one of the more fun episodes for me because I was just hanging out with my friend. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, no, he was great, and and I, uh, I, I know people are listening to this, and so they don't, uh, or listening to the show, so they don't get to necessarily see everybody. But um, but yeah, um, when you talk about uh, Reed and even Heath and some of these that are you know young yeah. leaders in this, um, yourself as well. Um, I'm the old guy here, uh, and I'm older so than you.
0: <laughs> but Truly. you know,
1: um, I, I I do think though that it's exciting to watch, and it is also inspiring. I think, and should be to people listening, that there's a way to get involved, and that people that show up and take action, you know, there's going to be opportunities. Um, right. And for those that are wanting to kind of have more levels of, or you know, of responsibility or you know, leadership or that kind of stuff, um, you know, his story about kind of hopping in the car and driving to Iowa after deciding, hey, I got to get, you know, we got to get Biden through this primary. Yeah, that's how it starts. And you know, so I think that that was impressive, and just his willingness to once he had made that decision that, okay, this is not going to work for me, at least this cycle with the Republican nominee, so I need to go make sure that the Democratic nominee is someone I can support, and that's Biden. Yeah, because um, he, he
0: he wouldn't have done this if it was for Bernie, you know? He wouldn't. Right, right, right. He really wouldn't. Um, and so, yeah, no, absolutely, he, yes.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I think that speaks too to a broader, and uh, Bill Crystal mentioned it, and, and I think most people, when they actually were thinking through this would probably agree. Although it's not the first priority is that like, no matter what side of the aisle you are on, is that having good quality candidates representing both parties is important. Because there are two parties, there are no other parties that really make an impact on national politics, especially, but even in local politics, how many libertarians, green parties or independents are in your state houses, probably not many, if any. And so Like the, you know, and so there's going to be, you know, between 40 and 60%, depending on your state, probably for most states and then nationally, of both parties representing Democrats, Republicans. And so having really good people in both parties is important. (laughs) And so, like, Reed going there and making sure that at least the nominee he felt was the best coming out of the Democratic Party was uh, it was a, a, a noble thing to do. Um, you know, and so I just, I think that, um,
0: and he lost there's, there's a job a lot to be learned he, from that. Yeah. He lost, you know, a local, um, political job or he got kicked right. out of, of the, I should know this, um, <laughs> out of the, um,
1: Virginia, something right. Virginia Assembly politics or?
0: for the, for the GOP, yeah. um, in Virginia. Um, so he really did make a sacrifice, um, you know, I think we've all paid for it in different ways. I certainly have as well. I mean, it, it alienates you from getting other jobs with Republicans going forward because people are so divided on that. And it, you know, it hurts and it's costly, um, you know, but he has so much political promise and he was willing to put that on the line to do what he felt was right. So kudos. Yeah.
1: He was awesome. <laughs> it was impressive. And and I think both the two of you and, and, and Biden Republicans and, uh, you know, really uh, important in getting that you know, fractional group that was willing to swing over in this last election to vote for Biden um out of kind of that Republican camp uh was really important and gave people permission to do it. Yeah yeah that was awesome. Yeah. Um all right. Our mashup episode with uh Corey Nathan and Jessica Stone uh and their podcast.
0: Yeah, that was fun. Um, I mean, it was, it was great to see that we were getting some traction that people kind of were noticing our podcast. And, um, sure. again, great finding more people in this corner. Cause I mean, like I said, there's like five of us. So, <laughs> um, right. not really there's more, but you know, it can just <laughs> get a little redundant and group thinky And it like it was yeah. nice finding other people that, um, shared our concern and also had different ideas for solutions and, um, also just weren't the same exact people you know, we, we have, we have more diversity to add to, you know, this movement. And that was really great. Um, and, you know, I've separately connected more with Corey and Jessica and um, would just highly recommend for our listeners to check out their, their podcast, talking politics and religion. You know, it's definitely it's worth a follow. And yeah, it was just fun. I think a big theme for me that stuck out was talking about community um, and, mm-hmm. and how important it is to love our neighbors despite our differences. And, and that used to be a lot easier. You know, we've just gotten so divided. Um, and, you know, I think, I think it was in our episode, but Corey talked about, um, it's funny because, you know, he has a neighbor that he loves and they always talk and whatever. And then recently he found out he's a big Trump supporter. And he was like, Oh, like this guy isn't crazy. You know, not yeah. everybody oh, yeah. is, is not going to, you know, is the January 6th crowd qanon crowd um <laughs> right. and you know and again even if you can disagree and even if that person is wrong you can still just love them and treat them equally as your neighbor and and that's a very christian theme that um is key to healing and, and having forgiveness and reconciling with um with the people on different sides of the aisle at, at this stage and, and with the divide and the gop
1: yeah the, the only thing i'd add uh, and uh, it was a lot of fun to do that with them and and uh on, on kind of the similar theme of community and also what we were talking about earlier with the, you know, kind of the local uh, news uh, yeah. piece. I think that relates to this as well. And um, one of the things that stood out to me was, you know, uh, Jessica's uh, in the Northeast, right? D.C. or Virginia. She's in
0: D.C. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Um, Corey in San Diego. You're in Atlanta. I'm in Waco, Texas. Ooh, and, Yeah. Like, those various, like, you know, because Jessica, there were a couple places where she was responding, like, man, I just never see that. Like, something I was saying. Or then it's like, yeah, it's like, you know, California, um, a Christian in San Diego, California, in kind of this space is going to just have a different type of interaction and community than what you're going to have in suburban in Atlanta or I'm yeah. going to have here. And I thought that was really interesting and helpful to kind of remind, I mean, something you know, but like also just kind of get reminded of. Like, yeah. I think specifically Jessica was talking about just not seeing some of that um, Christian nationalism stuff springing up in the church that she's at or kind of in the Christian community that she's in where I'm starting to see it more. And Elizabeth obviously was talking a lot about that and she was on their podcast too. So I think we were kind of connecting all those things. And so, you know, some of this stuff may not be equally dispersed among, you know, geographic communities, depending on where you are. So I think that was really interesting and helpful to be reminded of that and to kind of hear what's going on in different places around the country.
0: Definitely, definitely. And I mean, that's something that I, really detested about DC when I was there is that you really do lose perspective with the rest of the country. Um, you know, I think it's so great to have conversations with people that are all over the place and <laughs> not to say this, but real Americans, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, how this is, how the things in Washington are playing out, you know, in how, I mean, our country's huge. There's going to be so many different cultures and, and um you know, I just, to back up what you're saying, I think that that was a really great conversation to have. So yeah. yeah. So Heath, um, it was great to have Heath Mayo on. Um, he, you know, was also a signatory on the call for renewal. Um, and he is putting together the summit with principles first, the group that he founded. Um, and I'm so excited. My biggest takeaway, I really honestly left that one probably more energized than any of our others. Um, because there's so much talk in the Never Trump movement, so much talk. And I feel like people don't just jump and do things. Um, And I feel like Heath is doing this with an organization that he's not making any money off of. This is all volunteer. And he's essentially creating, you know, he, he nailed, he understands how much optics matter and how having a convention where people are cheering and people can watch it and see that there's energy behind this is so key to political movements. Um, and I just, I loved that he was saying, you know, we want to have people like from the dispatch along with, you know, people in our groups and, and just showing that it's not just our teeny tiny, never Trump, um, movement putting this on, but there's broader support for a new conservative movement. And I just thought it's so politically smart to do something like that.
1: For sure. Yeah. And, and I think too, I appreciated, And I'm, I'll, I'll be uh, interested to see how this comes together, but you know, the kind of combination of policy and politics that he seems to be trying to cobble together with the different types of guests and even the format. Right. Um, you know, making, cause I do making think one of the things, that, yeah. And, and also taking back um, it seems to me anyway, and I could, I could be misreading this, but it seemed to me like, you know, having policy emphasis again, uh when the current platform of the GOP was there wasn't one yeah <laughs> at the, at the 2020 and literally convention. they didn't write yeah exactly <laughs> yeah um and and you know i think focusing on those conservative policies some of which were part of the Trump years and Trump administration, and some weren't. Um, But then also trying to find new conservative solutions to problems that the party has ignored uh, for years and years, Uh, climate being one, but there are others kind of in that same bucket. Um, And and so I, I think that that is something that we haven't seen a lot of. It's in all politics, from just a lot of people and groups and stuff. And so I'm, I'm going to be interested to see how that piece comes together because I asked different guests throughout this 10 episode series about policy and we kind of joke about how it hasn't really been a factor. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, policy is not part of why Trump got elected. No, really. Policy is not really of part of why Liz Cheney is not in leadership right now. Yeah. Um, you know, it's all been about one thing. Um, and so, you know, and you can't just ignore that. That's a big piece of where the politics are right now. But at the same time, trying to refocus on what are the the policies of a conservative center, right, moving ahead party going forward that could work. I mean, I think that's going to be awesome to watch and see what comes from it.
0: Yeah, I'm excited. And we'll be there, maybe covering it from the press
1: room. (laughs) The What's Next podcast season two. That's right. That's right. (laughs) Um, Okay, so Joe Walsh, our our final uh, episode for this season, former congressman from Illinois and uh, 2020 presidential candidate. Um, What were your thoughts on that one?
0: Yeah. Um, you know, I think, first off, I really had a lot of respect for the fact that and, and even that he realized a, a better candidate to primary Trump would have been a Mitt Romney or Larry Hogan and whatever, but that he is willing sure. to step up and say, I will do it. You can make fun of me all you want. I mean, I'm, you know what I mean? He has experience, but I'm not like as much experience as other people. And he's aware of that, but that he was willing to stand up again, create the permission structure structure for conservatives to see like, Hey, we all, not all of us feel, um, we, we still share, uh, um, conviction on, on conservative principles, but we aren't part of the Trump movement. Um, and there are people like us out there and that took a lot of courage. Um, so that really stuck out to me. And then just kind of going into how important it is to bring people back into the GOP, making it, it big tent. Um, like he yeah. said, you touched on this earlier, but a lot of the elite conservatives for years, um, establishment really neglected parts of, of the base. And that doesn't excuse um, the behaviors of the last few years from <laughs> right. those people. Um, but it just strategically and politically, it was a failure on their part.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, uh, it was great to kind of have that. I mean, it's only been what, uh, really, eleven years ago or so um, when the Tea Party kind of really started and and grew and 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 to kind of go back and retrace those steps since he was a part of that class of congressmen and women that came in in the Tea Party wave, yeah, and which really did kind of precede what we have now. And looking at okay, what brought that. About and then also what's happened to it since, a- and uh, it was interesting to kind of get that perspective from him yeah. as well. Yeah, um, he's an insider and, and in that world.
0: You know, yeah, I was educated insider. a lot from our conversation.
1: Yeah, and, and to hear him say, yeah, everybody just was so broken and disappointed that they couldn't get done what they set out to do in terms of reversing the spending in Washington. Mm-hmm. Um, that they either were kind of, you know, just went away, went back to their lives or kind of morphed into the current Trumpism, right? Movement. Um, and so, uh, again, back to your point in, of the establishment, and the elites, not responding, not, uh, listening. Um, and, uh, I agree with what you said. I mean, it doesn't excuse behaviors. It also doesn't mean that the establishment should appease, you know, nativist or nationalist or right type policies or something like that. But, but you still have to listen and, you know, um, value, uh, the, your constituents opinions and listen to them, um, and try to come up with ways to address their issues, um, in a way that's fair to everyone. And, uh, and, you know, so, but, you know, to the extent that they just ignored it, um, You know, allowed for all this to happen, and so he puts a lot of the blame, right? I mean, because we went on the establishment, and which is you would expect from a Tea Party congressman uh, who came in. So it was, but it was good to hear that perspective and to kind of listen to that. Not everyone's going to agree with that historical framework of this, but uh, but it was good to kind of get that perspective and and see how it played into where we are now.
0: For sure, and it really played into that theme that we've really kind of been nailing, and and part of what inspired us to do this podcast, which is that. If people aren't speaking into um, the abyss, um, you know, people are more likely to go to the extremes. If nobody is standing up and saying, you know, it's understandable that you feel that way. um, But here's a different way. um, There's a power vacuum there and people are vulnerable to um, be more radicalized. And so it's important to just be that voice and and start speaking into that and um, creating spaces for people to find people that, um, are aligned with them missionally or, or that they can learn more and they can, again, realize they're not alone They're that this group is bigger, um, out there than all of the loud voices that we just are amplified more, you know?
1: Right. All right. So those are the 10 episodes and kind of the individual episode recaps, uh, that is going to conclude our, part one of our wrap-up show. Um, And so we will get into part two next week and talk through what our strategies are and what some of our thoughts are, how to take all this and apply it, kind of the the application part of the wrap-up. Emily, what are your thoughts on that?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'm excited to do that. I mean, this was such a great episode. I've really enjoyed this kind of um, summarizing everything and looking back and just being reminded of how many um, just great conversations we had and how thankful I am to our guests for um, coming on. I mean, this is our tiny little podcast that we just launched. And, you know, these big time people that have big, you know, very busy schedules um who are very, you know, very committed to the cause, um, are willing to take time out of their day to to join us was just really, um, such an honor. So we're thankful to all of them for joining us as well.
1: All right. We hope you enjoyed this part one of our recap or season finale episode of what's next. Uh, I want to encourage you to go and follow and, uh, check out all of the guests that we've had Uh, on this show over the course of this season, all of the links to where you can find them on Twitter and any place else are in the show notes to this episode. So we would encourage you uh, to do that. You can also follow Uh, Emily Matthews, of course, and myself. We'll put the links uh, in the show notes for that as well. Uh, And a reminder that uh, we do have a second uh, episode, a part two of this season finale coming up next week. And in that episode, we're going to, as we said, go through and talk about uh, the application of some of these strategies and ideas and ways that people can get involved. And so we're looking forward to that and hope you will come back and uh, listen to that next week. All right. Also, you can follow us on Twitter. It's at what's underscore next underscore pod. You can also email us at what's next political pod at gmail.com. If you could uh, go and leave us a rating or review in Apple podcasts or wherever you listen, would really appreciate that. All right. That's it for today's episode of What's Next. On behalf of Emily Matthews, I'm Daniel Hare. And we will see you next time for part two of the season finale of what's next. What's next?